Well, good evening. Glad you're here uh, tonight. Am I going to put this down? Is that all right? Does it, does it move? Okay. All right, sort of. I really, pre- I really, I really appreciate Pastor Hernan allowing, allowing me to come this evening. I am a New South Wales supporter. I, uh, I attended most of my schooling here in New South Wales, and, and football was, I guess, I was brought up with it. Um, I don't. I enjoy being in Queensland. I enjoy living there, but I don't like their football team at all. So I'm really, really glad that we are two nil ahead, and I know it's going to be three nil after tonight. Praise the Lord for that. All right. Um, I got saved when I was 16 years of age, back in 1985. So if you want to try and do some maths, you kind of work out how old I am. I'm very, very old. I'm very. I feel very old. Um, and in my late teens. Sitting in a little independent Baptist church, I was under the preaching, and God spoke to my heart one Sunday morning about preaching, and I felt the Lord called me to preach, and ever since then, I've done my best to preach wherever I go, as the Lord allows me opportunities to preach in smaller churches, and now I've been in Good Shepherd Baptist Church for uh, August will be 16 years, and the Lord's allowed me many opportunities to preach there. Um, It was nearly three years ago, I think, uh, three of our leadership conferences ago, well, Pastor Doug Fisher was preaching. Um, he was preaching on the sign gifts, and God started to work in my heart. And then straight after that, Pastor Lloyd took several weeks going through some of the gifts, and it was then that I felt the Lord really speak my heart about my call to preach. I'd never really done anything full-time with it, um, and God spoke to my heart about evangelism. Never felt called to be a pastor, but felt I was called to preach and Pastor Lloyd and I, we, we prayed about it for quite a while and we come to the conclusion that it was what God wanted for my life. Um, I'm part-time evangelising at the moment um, but as the Lord allows opportunities and, and, and allows me to do it more often, then as his will goes, I will step into it in a more permanent role. Um, I've had opportunities to preach a lot in Brisbane, some in Sydney now, and I've had opportunities to preach in India as well. I went to India in April, and God seems to be opening a lot of doors for me there. My family's with me tonight, uh, my wife Laurel, my daughter Alicia, and my son, T- sorry, my daughter Caitlin. I have another daughter who's at home. And this daughter doesn't normally live with us. She's married, and she lives away, and I'm normally used to saying Alicia, Caitlin, and my son Tim. One thing I wanted to, I wanted to say about... Yeah, they look a lot different, yeah. They say, who is this man at the front? We don't know him. So I apologise, Caitlin, you can slap me later. Um, One of the things I found since I got married and moved to Queensland, there's something in the water in Queensland. I don't know if you've noticed while we were standing, but everybody's quite tall in in my family except me. Um, But it seemed my wife was born and bred in Queensland. My daughter, Caitlin, was born here, but... We soon moved to New. Uh, we soon moved to Queensland, and she's taller than me. My other daughter, Alicia, she's even taller again. And my son Timothy's well over six foot, and I must have been drinking the same water because I've gotten bigger as well, just not in height. <laughs> I've increased in size around my middle, so there's something definitely in, in the water in Queensland. So if you're skinny and you want to put on some weight, move to Queensland. All right. <laughs> so praise the Lord. I want to. I'd like you to turn your Bibles this, this evening to First John chapter one. I want to encourage you a little bit, hopefully tonight, I'll, I'll try not to go into 
into football time. I'll be done before 9.30, so um, I learned that from Pastor Lloyd, so that's fine. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to read the first four verses. And verse 3 will be where I'll be kind of launching from, will be the thought that I'm going to gain. So let's read verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. And verse 3 is the key verse that we're going to look at this evening. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye, may, that, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Why don't we pray? I'm going to ask God to help me this evening, and I'm going to ask him to help you to listen and to learn something as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for opportunity to be in church on a Wednesday night, and I thank you for this church allowing me to be here as well. And Lord, I appreciate the words that we can read in the, in the Bible, the verses and the things we can learn from it. I just pray that you'd help me this evening just to speak forth what you've encouraged me to learn about, and then I pray that you, you would use me, and I pray that each person here tonight will, will learn something from the Word of God and be encouraged, but also be challenged if necessary. And I commit the night to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Seems to be one of the biggest needs throughout all the world, and including each one of you here, is to have a strong relationship with other people, or with others. It's what seems to be what young people seem to do. Have you ever noticed when a guy gets to be a certain age, usually in his teenage years, and he goes out and he realises that there are girls his own age. And it seems to be the man or, or the young boy who seems to seek to have a relationship with a young lady. Obviously, we want that to be done in the right way. In mine and my wife's situation, it was totally the opposite. She chased me. And uh, <laughs> we, were, we, actually, we actually met on the phone. We did. We were introduced on the phone. And the moment she heard this deep masculine voice, she was hooked, line and sink. It was, it, was, it was a match made in heaven. It was done there and then. And believe it or not, we met just before Christmas one year. Within a week of meeting, I, uh, she chased me and I just had to give in. And I proposed within a week of meeting. And then we were married in April. About four months later, we were married. We've been married for 26 years. And... Uh, she desired to have a relationship with me. I really wasn't looking for anybody. I'd, what happened was um, my pastor, when I got saved, uh, became her pastor years later, and he was visiting and he said to me, I know just the girl for you. And he dialed the phone and handed me the phone and said, you need to talk with her. And I was like, hello? And that deep voice has come, because I was a lot younger back then, and, and my voice was very deep and, and very masculine. And, she, and from then on, she desired to have a relationship with the voice. And we met, and she put the face and the body, and she thought, I can bear with that, as long as I get the voice. And we married, and we've been there ever since. So people are looking for relationships. Isn't it true that our, that our world is looking for a relationship with other people, or with something? There are many denominations out there, as people look to have a relationship with something higher, a higher being. So many different churches... So many different belief systems, 
So many different sorts of gods out there, all with people looking to have a relationship with a higher being. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible clearly tells us that we can have fellowship with God. We can have fellowship one with another, but that we may truly have, uh, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And tonight what I want to encourage you about, we're going to look a little bit about relationships in general, but then I want to give you some challenging thoughts that I want you to think about. And you need to think about this because I need to think about this and pastor needs to think about this because it deals with our relationship with Almighty God. And we need to be challenged about that regularly. So some thoughts about relationships in general to get our minds thinking about God. Did you know that our relationships have a flow and effect with other people, have a flow and effect with those around us? So whether you have a good or a bad relationship with God, it will impact others around you. I want to give you an example of this. I want you to think about the relationship between a husband and wife and how that impacts the children that may be within the family. The way you treat your husband or the way you treat your wife, your children see that and believe it or not, whether you understand it or not just yet, it impacts your children. I think back on my childhood, um, I grew up uh, in a family with my mum, my stepfather, who... My mum got married to him when I was about nine. My real dad left on my seventh birthday. And it was a long time, many years from from then to when I saw him again. But my stepfather was really the only dad figure in my family, but he was a drunk. He used to brew his own beer. I was never brought up in a a Christian family. And things at home were were of great tension. And my mum always said that if anything ever gets too bad, if I ever say the words, run... I was to run. We lived on a, on a little farm, northern New South Wales. We had a 65-acre farm. We were about 15 kilometres out of the little uh, 150 uh, uh, people town and then about 45 minutes to the next bigger town. So we were away from a lot of people and there were a couple of farms either side of us. And one night, my dad had, or my stepfather had been drinking and it got to that point where my mum thought things were, were going to get ugly. And she said the words to me, run. Now, I was, um, I must have already been saved because I was, I was 16 years of age and my mum said, run. And she said, go to the neighbours and call somebody. I don't know what time it was. It was about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And I remember leaving the house and looking across the fields. I could see the other house. There were lights on, so I knew people were up, people were home. And I ran through the darkness in the pitch black of through fences, through paddocks, around trees, over gullies, and I got to this house and I banged on the door and I said, I need to use your phone. Now, they were pretty cluey people and they, re- they knew things in the home weren't real good and they understood, I think, what was happening. And the only number I could think of was, was the deacon in this little independent Baptist church that we had been attending where I'd gotten saved at. And I knew his number for some reason off the top of my head and I dialed it and, and this man's name was, was Keith. I said, Keith, can you come and get mum and my and my younger brother, and he said, I'll be there as soon as I can. He lived on the same road that we did, about five kilometres on this old dirt road. When I had gotten out of the neighbour's house, I was thinking about trying to go back to my mum, and I had seen the lights come on in the car that my stepfather had, and we lived, uh, the main road was up high, and, and you walked down a long driveway to the house. 
and I was across the paddock and I noticed the lights in the car starting to head up the driveway. And by this time, I noticed in the, in the far distance some figures in the lights at the top of the road was my mum and my little brother. My little brother would have been about 12. So I ran as fast as I could to the top of my neighbour's driveway to try and meet them. And when I got there, the car got up to the driveway and in the silhouette I saw a car screech behind my mum and my brother and my stepfather get out and I could see the silhouette of a rifle in his arms. And I thought, oh, it was, it was very... I really didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was going to happen. I saw my stepfather get back in the car and then the car come towards me. And I could hear my mum saying, run, run, run. And all I could do was just stand there. It was coming at me. The car pulled up. My stepfather got out. And all I can remember was the deacon turning up just as he got out of the car. And he was able to defuse my stepfather and he went home and we went with the deacon and we ended up in a women's refuge that night at 16 years of age. And that was probably, it wasn't the last time I was at home, but it was one of the, it was one of the harder nights of my life. But what was happening, and the reason why I share that with, is because relationships are very, very important. They impact young people. I'm glad today that, that I've got a Heavenly Father that never treats me like that. I've got a Heavenly Father that, that doesn't belittle me like my stepfather used to do. I'm thankful he never used to beat me, but he used to say things when he was drunk that were so mean and cruel. And let me encourage you, parents, your words can hurt just as much as a fist can. We think about domestic violence and fathers or even mothers that, that really lay into their children with fists. That's terrible. But you know, our words can be just as bad. And our words can affect our children. I was affected greatly by the life, my stepfather and my mum, what they were going through. So relationships do affect others. If you have a bad relationship with God, it's going to affect not only your children, but if you work here in the church or if, if you regularly attend this church, it's going to affect others around you. But if you have a good relationship with God, the same thing, it will affect others around you. I think about Moses. When he spent time with God, when he had a relationship with God, when he, I think about when he came down the second time from Mount Sinai with the tablets that God had written, his face shone. And Moses' relationship with God gave evidence that he'd been with the Lord. Your relationship should show some things. I remember a young, a young man who got saved when I first married uh, Laurel and we lived in Gladstone for a couple of years. And in the church up there, there was a young man who, who had gotten saved. He had long hair, long blonde hair. He was a bit of a beach goer. He was just like real casual and real cool. And he uh, wore just shorts and singlet to church. And he just newly saved. Now, the pastor, I don't know whether he deliberately did it or not, but he didn't say anything about his appearance or the way he acted or the things he said. But, you know, over months of him coming to church after being saved, God started to work on his heart. As he started to develop a relationship with God, things started to change. The way he dressed started to change. His hair got shorter. His attitude changed. And it was all not based upon someone saying, you need to change your attitude. You need to change your hair. You need to dress more like a Christian. It came natural. And guess what? People actually saw that his relationship with God was growing. If you'd have a relationship with God, people need to see that things are going on. Our relationship with God, believe it or not, helps us recharge when we spend time with him. 
Have you ever come to church, for example, like tonight? Can you put your hand up if you've been at work today? A good amount of people. I know some of the kids are on holidays at the moment, so you've had time to do what you want. But those of you that have worked today, I really appreciate you being here. Because I, I know and understand that at the end of a work day, coming to church on a Wednesday night can sometimes, for some, mentally be a struggle, if we're honest, if we're real. Our day at work has been tiresome. It's been hard. We've had to deal with uh, staff. We've had to deal with other work colleagues. We've had to hear things that we just don't like. We've had to see things we just don't like. We've had maybe traffic. Our traffic on the way over here was terrible. We, we were honked and lights flashed and sworn at, I'm sure, by this, by this guy in the truck. And I'm little Queenslander sitting there going, please leave me alone. So I understand what it's like on a Wednesday night. And I get like that sometimes too in, in Brisbane. You have a hard day at work. You race home sometimes. You, 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 whether you have dinner before or after, I'm not sure what you do, but Wednesday nights can be, it can either be really easy or it can be really bad. And if you've had a bad day at work, sometimes the last thing you want to do is come to church. I know that's for me. I just think, oh, there's such, I've got to go to church. I've had people yelling at me. I've had problems at work, issues, and you just think, but you know what happens? The times I go to church, it's those times I've actually been encouraged. I've been recharged. When I sat down to hear the preaching, I sat down, I slump in my chair. All right, let's do church. But then as we sing, as pastor gets up or whoever's preaching, you start to listen and that relationship with God starts to grow a little bit more and all of a sudden, spending time with God actually recharges you. And I hope you get recharged tonight. I hope you making the effort to come on a Wednesday night, I hope even if you come this evening with the attitude of, oh, football's on later on, I hope he's not too long. I hope you actually get a little bit of encouragement tonight. So our relationship with God recharges us. And one thing I, know, I do know about relationships, and it's probably Laurel and my relationship was probably the unique thing, but relationships are normally developed with time and consistency. For Laurel, it was just love at first sight. Love at verse sound. But normally with our relationship with God, it's developed with time. It takes a while. No one gets to know God instantly. The Holy Spirit lives within, but it takes a while for us to really learn about God and to know him. So I've talked a little bit about relationships with God in general, but now I want to challenge you a little bit, and, and I'll try and be as quick as I can with this. I want to ask you a question. How do you see your relationship with God? How do you measure it? If, if I was to individually ask you and say, how's your relationship going with God? What would your answer be? I'm pretty sure if I asked you individually, you'd just say, oh, yeah, it's good. It's great. It's going fine. But how do we measure that? How do we know if we're really walking well with the Lord? If our relationship is good or, or if it's a little bit, you know, not so good. Do you base your relationship with God or do you, or do you measure yourself based upon comparison? That's what most people do. We look at others and we look at their life and we judge them with our own selfish judgment and we think, well, I'm not as bad as them, so I must be doing pretty good. Let's have a look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There's a verse there that I think really aptly fits this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, and then we're going to have a look at a verse in, in Luke 18. So 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number 
or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The moment we start to compare ourselves with others, God says we're not wise. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 18. I want to read some verses in here, which kind of gives a picture of someone who does this, compares himself with somebody else. Luke 18, we're going to read from verse 9. The Bible says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, and they were righteous and despised others. So Luke 18, verse 9, now verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now can you imagine someone praying this? God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. They're praying near each other. I fast twice in the week. Look how good I am. Oh, God. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not not lift up as so much as his eyes under heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man that prayed the second went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The first man was looking at who, who the other guy was. He was looking at his stature. He was looking at, uh, he was a publican. And he was referring to himself and he was, he was judging, well, I know this other guy doesn't do what I do. I tithe and, and uh, I give and uh, I, I'm not like all those other guys. They're adulterers and I don't do all those sorts of things. So really I am doing pretty good compared with others. You know, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to look at others and see those that are not in church tonight and go, where's brother so-and-so? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, he's missed a few lately. I'm in church. Pastor will see me and go, I'm glad you're in church, bro. Sister, that's good. We make judgments upon others, but what happens is we forget to realise we may not realise why that person's not here. They may be laid up at work. They may have a sick child. They may be sick themselves, but just haven't said anything. And we're quick to judge and look at their lives. Maybe it might be a brother or sister who have fallen into sin. They've, they've done the wrong thing, that's for sure. But we quickly make a judgment and think, well, I wouldn't do that. And we seem to compare one another and we sit ourselves thinking, well, I must be okay. Now, there are a lot of church people who do the right thing but still often don't have a good relationship with God. It's easy to follow some rules. It's easy to just act like a Christian. Did you know that before I got saved, I started attending, no, I didn't get saved until I was about 16. I attended this little, little independent Baptist church for two years as a teenager. Went every service. I even got baptised, but wasn't saved. It wasn't until one of the deacons, so deacons, ask your young people this question. I was staying with a deacon one night because of the issues at home. It got to a point where um, every weekend someone in the church would have me in the house just so I wouldn't fight, just so I wouldn't be in trouble, just so I wouldn't have to go through the arguments at home. And I happened to be staying at this deacon's house one night and he said to me, hey, Paul, can you tell me how you got saved? And at 16 years old, I went, I don't know what you mean. I've been sitting two years in church hearing the preaching. 
And he said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, well, that when you asked Jesus to save you. And I sheepishly said, well, I don't think I have done that. And he was taken back because he knew I'd been baptised and I'd been in church for, uh, for at least two years. And he said, oh, really? Would you like to know what it means to be a Christian? I said, yeah, sure. And as he went through the Bible, he was showing me some verses. Now, I'd, I'd probably heard all this, but it just hadn't sunk in. It hadn't become a reality. And as he was showing me in some of the verses in Romans about my sin and how I, um, the, wages of, the wages of sin is death and how I needed to be saved and the gift of God is eternal life. And it was really literally like God switched on a light in my head. And I understood that if I was to die there and then I would go to hell. Even though I was a church attendee, even though I'd been baptised, I wasn't saved. And I'm so thankful for that deacon who took the time to say, tell me how you got saved. I would challenge you, church members, to, when you have youth group or when you have young people around, challenge them. When, when did you get saved? If they're, especially if they're professing to be saved, tell me how you got saved. Challenge them about that. You never know. You might have some people that are lost in your midst and need to be saved. We can't compare each other. Just before I move on to the next part, this comparison thing, it can work both ways. We can look at others and think we're better. But you know what I've done sometimes? I've looked at others who are more spiritual than me and compared them with myself and think, I'm no good. You can actually do that. We can actually make us, and I'm sure it's a tool of the, I'm a tool of the devil to get us discouraged. I know it's not spiritually, but within business, a few years ago, I, I had a business and it was going pretty good. And yet there were some other men in the church who had their business and I started to compare myself with them. They had lots of money. They had big cars. They travelled every year overseas and they did everything and it seemed like they were never in need of want. And I had a solid income, but there always bills to pay and second-hand car and had to save just to go to visit parents and I started to look at them and think how come they can do that and I can't and I really started to feel really bad about myself I thought maybe I'm not a very good Christian maybe God's not blessing me they seem to be blessing them and why isn't he blessing me it took me a long time to try and work through that because I was comparing God says it's not wise to do that and I would encourage you not to do that do you base your relationship upon prosperity? Similar to what I just said, but when things are going well, if, you, if you've had a good week, a good month at work, and health-wise everything's going well, and you look in your bank account, you've paid your bills, and you've got an extra $1,000 in there, and you think, oh, wow, things are going really well. God must be blessing me. God must be doing some things in my life. But what we forget sometimes is that there are certain principles that God has placed within the world, sowing and reaping. If you're a business owner, if you work hard at your job, you would expect to get a return from your employer. If you work hard in your business, you would expect to get a return for your labour. There are many ungodly people out there who work hard and receive. It doesn't mean they have a great relationship with God. It just means that they're, they're working hard and the natural law is if you work hard, you should expect to receive. So we can't always base prosperity where a lot of churches do. A lot of churches say God wants to bless and, and as soon as any, any goodness comes in, it's just God blessing. 
God will bless, but it doesn't, blessing doesn't always equal good relationship. So you need to be careful that just because things are going well, you could be the richest person here and yet be the most ungodly and l- the least uh, quality of relationship with God than the person that, that is the poorest. I think about the, um, in Luke 21, we might just quickly just turn there just for a second. In Luke 21, I, I thought about this the other day, Luke 21 um, verses 1 to 4. Because this kind of defeats the prosperity thing. Luke 21, it says, and it, uh, yes, Luke 21 verse 1, and he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a, a certain poor widow casting in, in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God, but she of her penury, of her penury hath cast in all her living that she had. So just because you have a lot doesn't mean that it pleases God that you have a lot or God is blessing, all right? You could be the poorest person here and have the greatest relationship with God. It's really up to God whether he blesses you financially or not. So prosperity doesn't always equal um, relationship or blessing from God. If we would consider the life of Job, that kind of proves it to me. Job lost everything. Does that mean he didn't have a relationship with God? But totally the opposite. God gives or God takes. And I think that's what I had to come to terms with when I compared myself with other men in the church, with their wealth. It's up to God whether he gives it to me or not. Maybe if he gave me great wealth, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I couldn't handle it like them. So it's up to God what he does. A right relationship starts, if you want to have a right relationship with God, as you consider, as your question was, how do you see your relationship with God? This is what I think you need to do to, to start thinking about it correctly. A right relationship starts with seeing ourselves with God's perspective. Let's have a look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And this is what I would challenge you to do today or when you get home or whenever you feel like it. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Simple verses that just says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what? A lot of people, if they would do this, I think their lives would change. But you know what happens? Most people don't want to pray this because they know God will reveal some things that they would have to change. There might be some things that are just not right in our lives. There might be some areas of sin that are plaguing us. And we know that we may need to confess those things. We struggle to not do those things and we know now God's putting his finger on those things and we know, how am I going to do this? It may need some repentance and giving up of some things. There might be some things we've spent a lot of money on that we own or are investing in or spending time in and God might say, that needs to go, and we struggle with that because we want to hold on to those things. There may be some restoration being made. If we ask God, search me and see if there's anything in my life that is hindering me from, from walking with you, and it might be you need to go to a brother or sister and say something. Make right. You may have offended and you may have done something to them that has hurt them, and all of a sudden now your pride is on the line, and oh, 
I don't know if I want to do that. So I might challenge you about this, but it's a very hard thing to do. We like to think, oh yeah, God search me, yeah, pray, pray. But it really is a hard thing is if we, if we really mean it. Because God will reveal some things. He will show you that there are some things that are not right that are hindering your relationship. But until you come to that point, we really can't get to know exactly where we're at with God at all. So how do you base where you measure your, your relationship with God? Two more quick things as we, get, as we get ready to finish. How do others see my relationship with God? Quickly, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'll quickly just mention this. Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul chooses out a couple of guys that he's going to send to do some work. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read, start reading from verse 19. It says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may, may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now, this, now have a listen to verse 20, what he says about Timothy. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So here's a description of what Paul sees about Timothy. It's like he's looking at Timothy's relationship with God, so to speak. I know I'm taking a little bit of leeway with this. But how, I'm asking how do others see your relationship? This is how Paul saw Timothy's relationship. I've no other man like-minded that will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, the things which are uh, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, we've already seen it, that as a son with his, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Timothy's done some things, he's serving Paul. Paul can diligently see that, uh, that he is faithful, he cares for people, he's serving with me. And verse 23 says, Him, therefore, I hope to send presently as soon as I shall, see how well it will go with me. Then he mentions someone else. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to, all my, uh, he that ministered to my wants. Here's another guy who he describes as um, a brother, companion in labor, fellow soldier. He's examining his life, and the proof of his life, Paul can see exactly where his relationship is. For he longed after you, you all in verse 26 and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. I mention these two men because it was evident that they had, both Timothy and Epaphroditus, had a relationship with God. And Paul could see that in as much that he said, these two men are usable for the work of the Lord. How do others see you? How do others see your relationship? How does pastor see your relationship? Could pastor go to you after viewing your life and say, I believe God wants you to do this in the church. I believe God would like you to help in Sunday school. I believe God would want you to help in, in song leading. 
in preaching or whatever it is. Is there evidence that you have a walk with God? There should be. There needs to be. There's no use coming to pastor and say, Pastor, I want to be a Sunday school teacher. I want to, lead, I want to be up front. I want to lead the singing. It's cool to be up front, I'm sure. And you might be really talented in speaking. You might be really confident. But that doesn't get you the jobs. That doesn't get you the ministries. That doesn't get you used of God. It's the relationship with God that can be seen by others. Then lastly, and this is the one that really matters, how does God see a relationship with him? What does God think about all our work and all our running around and all our whatever we do here in church? What does God think of it? Let's have a look in Revelation chapter 3, and this will be the last, the last passages, and then I'll hand it back over to Pastor. Revelation chapter 3. This is a very familiar, well-known passage. Revelation chapter 3. If I can turn there quickly enough. All right. Chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, and a couple of verses after. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, and here sounds like a church or people who are judging themselves and giving themselves what they think they're with, uh, their relationship is like. Because thou sayest, I am rich, here's that prosperity thing, and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest, thou, that knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Here's a church, a group of people who said, mate, we are being blessed by God. We are right with God. And God says, wrong, wrong, wrong. I can see all the work you're doing. You're not either, you're just lukewarm. You're not cold. You're not hot. It actually said, I'd rather you just be cold or hot. You choose. Walk, get the relationship right, or just, even if you stopped, God would prefer that than being a lukewarm Christian who's just wishy-washy and who's playing church. Can you imagine standing before God one day? You might be saved. Obviously, if you get stand before him to get into heaven, and he, he says to you, hey, you're here, but I wanted so much for you. Did you know that when you were in church, I noticed that you weren't cold or hot, you thought your relationship was because you had so much, I gave you so much, but really you were very lukewarm. And guess what? That made me sick. Can you imagine God saying that? Standing before God, he says, you did a lot of running around, you cleaned the church and you fed the poor, and you, but really you, you, you did it for yourself. You weren't really honestly walking with me. Or your relationship wasn't as good as you thought you were. And you actually made me sick. Man, that would be so sad. Have a look at some verses in, as we continue on down, let's have a look at verse 20. And this is what I think what God might want to do for some of us, and including me. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. A lot of people 
use this for the lost, that Jesus is standing at their heart's door. And he does. He, he does stand at people's lives trying to let them, he's trying to invite them to be saved. But really it's talking about a church situation. And God was wanting to have that fellowship we started at the beginning. And for a lot of hearts here tonight, maybe God's at the door of your heart saying, church member, are you there? We haven't had a relationship in a while. You haven't, you might pray, but really you haven't been walking with me. You haven't really been fellowshipping with me. And he's knocking saying, are you there? Will you let me in? And the Bible clearly says that if any man will hear my voice, the knock, or maybe the knocking, and open the door, Jesus has promised, to, that, he's promised that he will come in and he will sup with us. He'll have fellowship with us. And I want to encourage you tonight that if you have started to think about what really is my relationship like with God, I would encourage you to go back to Psalm 139, reread those verses and make a time where you say, God, search me. God, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm not exactly as good as I think I am with my relationship. And maybe Jesus is knocking at your heart's door tonight and he wants to rekindle that relationship. Will you let him? Will you open the door and say, I'm scared of what you might show me, but I'm really serious about this. I want to have a better relationship with you. And he's promised he will. He'll do his part. He just wants you to be honest. Can you imagine how, how much a relationship between a husband and wife could work if you're not honest? It really can only go so far. If there's no honesty in the relationship, even if you have to tell your wife, your husband, I'm really struggling with something. I don't like what you're doing. We're too scared to say that, but sometimes you just got to say, I don't like something. Well, they might tell you they don't like something. But that's the open communication with, communication in a relationship. And that's what needs to be with God. You might need to say, God, I'm really, just to be honest, I'm really struggling. I love church, but I'm, I know I'm struggling with some things and you need to help me with it. And God will help you. So church, I, Pastor, I hope that's a blessing. Um, I'll leave it at that. Football's about to start. Still got to pray yet. So let's go. Thanks, Pastor.